In a book called A Praying Life, Paul Miller, and I would highly recommend that book to you. It has been so helpful to me in just thinking through prayer and especially much of what I want to share with you this morning. But in that book, the author gives this imaginary scenario that I want you to consider. He says, imagine that you went to a prayer therapist, if there was such a thing, or an expert in prayer to sort of get your own prayer life straightened out. You struggle with prayer, so you go to visit this therapist to help you pray better. And imagine the therapist starts by asking you, okay, describe to me what a relationship with your Father in heaven looks like for you, right? The, the Bible says that God is our Father and we are his children. So what does it look like for you to be a son or a daughter, a child of the Father in heaven? Describe that to me. What's it like to be with God? And so maybe you've come to Seven Mile Road before, and so you've heard us talk about that. And maybe at that moment, you rattle off this amazing, impressive, right answer. Maybe you say something like, well, what it means is that I have been adopted into the family of God. That in my nature, by my sin, I was originally a child of God's wrath, an enemy of God, away from God, separated from God. But through faith in Jesus, God brought me into his family. He adopted me through his son, Jesus Christ. And now I am a child of God. And I have unlimited access to God in Jesus and like Jesus and through Jesus. And God, being a good father, shows no favoritism. And so now he looks at me like he looks at his own son. And so I have intimacy with God. And and my relationship is not based on what I do, but what Jesus did for me. And it's not based on my own goodness, but Jesus' goodness for me. And so I can approach the father anytime just like Jesus. Okay, if you gave that answer, that would be an impressive answer. I would smile because you would be paying attention to me over these weeks. That would be a right answer, a perfect answer. And imagine the therapist looks at you and smiles and says, you have done really well in describing the doctrine of adoption and sonship. But now tell me, what's it like for you to actually be with your father? What's it like for you to actually spend time with him? What's it like for you to actually talk to him? What does it look like for you to actually be in a relationship with your father? And maybe at that point, the answer is a bit more difficult. And much more cautiously and a bit ashamedly, maybe you describe how it's very hard for you to be with your father. How it's very hard for you to actually spend time in his presence. How it's very hard for you to actually talk with him. How it's it's hard for even a few minutes Your mind immediately begins to wander and you're not sure what you're supposed to say or how long this thing is supposed to go on. Maybe you have questions about it, like, what are we doing here? What is prayer? Does prayer even work? Is God listening to me and to what I'm saying? And maybe those doubts and those questions make you feel so guilty and ashamed that you just fall into despair and you quit. The therapist would then look at you and tell you what you perhaps already know and already suspect and are deeply afraid of, and that is your relationship with your Heavenly Father is dysfunctional. You talk as though you're intimate with Him, though you are not. And theoretically, you are very close to Him, but practically, you're very distant. And they would say to you, you need help. Okay, now none of us have gone to prayer therapists. I don't know if there is even such a thing. None of us have gone to prayer experts. But if we did, I'd imagine that that would be what our visit would look like, right? I'd imagine that that would be the conversation that we'd have. That those of you who are Christians, who believe in Jesus, 
Many of you would, if you were honest, would say, I know about God being my father much more and much better than I actually know God as father. Let me say that again. Many of you, and and sometimes we're duped even into thinking that we are Christians because we know about God being our Father much better, much truer, much deeper than actually knowing God as Father. And yet here's the thing I want you to hear. Until we actually know God as Father, our prayer lives will never grow. Your prayer life will never grow, will never deepen, will never mature until you actually know God as Father. And here's why. Because the key to prayer, the heart of prayer, what unlocks prayer is being a child that relates to a father. That's what prayer is. The heart of prayer, the key to prayer, what unlocks prayer is learning to become a child with a dad. If you want to learn how to pray, don't go to religious experts. Watch a child relate to their father, and you will learn massive amounts of what prayer is supposed to feel like, what it's supposed to look like, what drives someone to prayer. Now, don't take my word for that. Listen to what Jesus says. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. That's the passage that Ben read for us in verses 7 through 10. If you take the Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under your seat. You can grab that. If you don't own a Bible, become a Christian and buy one. Um, I'm kidding. You are welcome to take that Bible. That's a gift from us to you. We would love for you to have it. In those Bibles, it's page 526, Matthew 7, verses 7 to 10. While you turn there, let me take a moment and pray and ask the Father for help. Father, we do ask that you would now help us as we both speak and hear your word. Be with my mouth. Let it be both a slave and free, a slave to be constrained only by what you would have me say, faithful to your word, not going out of bounds, but free to follow the leading of your Holy Spirit so that I might say all that you would have me to say. And be with your people. Be with their eyes as they see the text that it would go in and not be blinded. Be with their ears that they would not be hard of hearing, but that they would hear well you speaking to them this morning. Be with their hearts, that it would not be hard and resistant to the Holy Spirit, but soft and ready to receive. Their minds, they would not be dark, but illuminated with light to actually comprehend what you are saying. That we might see, hear, believe, understand, and then live in accordance with your word this morning. We do pray that there would be a difference in our lives for this time spent in your word. Now, all of this can only be done by your Holy Spirit. And in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. When you get there, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. All right? So if you remember a few weeks ago, we were in Luke 11. And this passage in Matthew, almost word for word, mirrors what we saw in Luke 11. If you remember two weeks ago, Luke 11, Jesus had finished praying and his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's what we've named this whole series as we've been talking about prayer over these few weeks. That's our request. We're going to Jesus saying, Lord, we're immature when it comes to prayer. Would you teach us to pray? And so now Jesus is about to teach his disciples about prayer. If you want to learn about prayer, you want to learn it from Jesus, Jesus is going to teach you. In Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, this is how he starts. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. 
And the one who knocks, it will be opened. All right, pause there for a second. I have to tell you right off the bat, I struggle with these two verses. I struggle with these two verses because I'm not entirely sure what Jesus means when he's saying this. Because what it sounds like Jesus is saying is this. If you ask for something, you're going to get it. And if you seek after something, you'll find it. And if you just knock hard enough and long enough, God is going to swing the doors open to you. It sounds like what Jesus is saying is he's writing a blank check to his disciples and saying, anytime you want to cash this in, you can cash it in. And the Father will always hear that request. You ask and you will receive. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened to you. Now, I struggle with that because I haven't found life to work that way, right? And it's not because I'm asking petty, selfish, silly things that I struggle with these verses, right? It's not because I've asked Jesus to make me 6'5", he made me 5'6 instead. It's not because I've been seeking him for a 10-bedroom mansion, I live in a two-bedroom apartment. It's not because I've been knocking to drive around in a Corvette and I drive a Chevy Aveo or something. Thank God I don't drive a Chevy Aveo. I at least drive a Toyota Camry, right? I'm never going to stop making fun of that car, Sibby. Right? So it's not because I've struggled with petty, simple, small things that I struggle with this verse. What about when I've asked for good things? Like the time when I was in college and my good friend, his aunt, had been diagnosed with cancer. So we were in college. We could have been doing anything on our college nights. And night after night after night after night, we gathered in a room to ask. And we sought and we knocked and we prayed and we begged for hours. We were in college. And, and every now and then we'd get these updates like she's starting to do a little better and she's starting to, the doctors are a little optimistic. And it would build this hope in you and you'd ask harder and seek more and knock even more. And then she died. She died. And I'm not just saying this to make a point. I grew cynical real fast. Because I had tried prayer, and it burned me. It's not like I didn't try it. I tried it, and it burned me. So ask, seek, knock. To me, I have found that that often sounds good. I get why it sounds right. I get why people would put it on bumper stickers and on mugs and cheesy Christian T-shirts. I get that. But for me, I've struggled to understand what does this mean. Now, here's the thing. I don't think we'll understand what it means unless we hear what Jesus says next. Unless we hear these two verses in the house, in the context in which Jesus says what he says, we won't understand it. But if we get what Jesus says next, I think we'll be in the right frame to understand it. Listen to what Jesus says next in verses 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Listen, what Jesus is saying here is incredibly simple, but incredibly profound and incredibly important. Jesus says, listen, which one of you, if your kid came to you and tugged on your leg and said, I'm hungry, could I have a loaf of bread, would put on his plate a stone and say, all right, scarf that down? 
Or which of your kids, if he came to you and said, I'm hungry, could I have fish, would put a serpent, a snake on his plate and give him a fork and a knife? Right? And all of us would immediately, from our gut level, say, no one. Nobody does that. Right? It's either laughable if you just take it as what it is, a a humorous thought, or horrible if you took it seriously. If your kid was hungry, which dad would do that? And, And the idea is none of us, from our gut level, all of us would say no dad worth a dime would ever do that. I mean, even in a world where there is terrible dads and abusive dads, and absent dads, and awful dads. Even in such a world, there's enough common grace in such a world like ours that the general impulse of a father is to be jealous and zealous to give good things to their child. And that's Jesus' point. Jesus says, if you who are evil, and you got to love Jesus because he doesn't pull back any punches. He's not saying, if you who are weak, if you who are sinful, if you who occasionally trip up, no, he knows what you and I are. And he says, if you who are evil, you're evil. He just blanket assumes that everyone knows that everybody is evil, that there's an evil nature in us. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, listen, in a world where there are terrible dads and even where the best of dads are corrupted by sin and have an evil nature in them, in a world with, like us where even the best of us senses our own flaws and failures and weaknesses and our depravity and are corrupted by sin and have an evil nature in us, in such a world as this, if we know how to give good things to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven in whom, by the way, there is no evil, in whom there is no corruption, in whom there is no sin, no depravity, no darkness, only light, only pure goodness, all the time, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Right? If, if you know how to do this, How much more will God do that? That's his point. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to drive this home by by giving you this comparison. Lesser and greater. If the lesser is true, how much more is the greater? Do you sense that? That's the, the analogy he wants to draw. So, for example... I haven't gone to Friday night to play basketball with the guys because, again, God made me 5'6 and not 6'5. So I imagine that when the guys get to play basketball, they're talking smack. So I picture Charlie talking smack. And, and if, if he went up to someone and said, Jim beat you, if Jim beat you, how much more am I going to school you? Right? <laughs> right? Lesser, greater. You see that? Or you go up to Sibby and you go, you like driving a Chevy Aveo? If you like driving a Chevy Aveo, imagine you had a real car, right? (laughs) Lesser, greater. Jesus' point here is, listen, if you who are evil know how to give good things, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Here's essentially what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you want to know prayer, If you want to grow in prayer, if you want to learn what prayer is, you've got to learn what it's like to be a child relating with dad. If you understand what it's like for a child to relate with dad, for a little child 
to relate with their father, then you get a glimpse of what prayer is. The heart of prayer is seeing how a child relates to their father. And so if you're going to learn to pray, you've got to learn to pray like children. Lord, teach us to pray like children. So here's what I want to do. I want to not just talk at you about prayer. I want to give you a feel for what that looks like. So I want to tell you five stories about my kids, right? about my children, so that you get a feel for what a relationship between a child and a dad looks like. And hopefully that gives you a vision for what a relationship with father looks like, what praying to the father looks like. So I want to give you a few stories about the kids or tell you a few things about the kids. In particular, I'm going to talk about Hannah because Mike is too young to know that I'm showing favoritism at this point at least. So most of my stories are from Hannah. But, but here's what I want you to hear. Nothing has taught me about what God is like, like being a dad. Nothing. Marriage taught me how sinful I am, right? When I got into marriage, I realized this is how sinful I am. Fatherhood has taught me how good God is because I know how I look at my kids and love my kids. And I get, if I, being evil, know how to give good things to my kids, how much more will my Father in heaven My children have been wonderful in teaching me how I ought to relate with God and have been instrumental in helping my prayer life. Let me give you some examples. Hannah is completely secure in her relationship with me. Hannah is completely secure in her relationship with me. I'll give you an example. Last week, I had Hannah and Micah, and we were driving home. And so Hannah wants a lollipop, and she asked for the lollipop, and I told her she can't have the lollipop because she had something sweet before, and so I say, no, 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 and she keeps asking, right? And I don't know how many of you know, but my wife, Shaina, was uh, in India for the last two weeks on a missions trip, so I'm already outnumbered by these monsters two to one, and I'm outmanned, and so now I'm walking on edge to begin with. I'm already like this close to always blowing it, and so we get into the apartment, and Hannah won't stop. Can I have a lollipop? Can I have a lollipop? Finally, thankfully, by God's grace, I didn't lose it, but I said to Hannah, Hannah, you must go and sit on the couch for three minutes. I do not want to hear another word about the lollipop. No more. She goes over and sits on the couch, and to me, the tension now is so thick, right? I can feel it, and I don't know how we're going to overcome this. Like, how is it going to get to the point where we're okay again? Hannah goes and sits on the couch, and she goes, Dad, can I watch TV? And I go, no, you cannot watch TV. How about ice cream? Can I have ice cream? (laughs) And here's the thing that got me the most. I wanted to be like, Hannah, don't you understand what's going on right now, that there's tension between us? You shouldn't be talking to me, much less asking me for stuff, right? Doesn't she recognize that we're at odds and that we're separated and, and, and we can't do that anymore? Hannah doesn't. Hannah doesn't think we're separated or that we're at odds. You know why? Hannah has never treated our relationship like it's something she can fall out of and come back into and fall away from and comes back into. She's never treated our relationship like she's constantly being disowned and reclaimed and disowned and reclaimed, like she's at the end of a yo-yo constantly back and forth based on how she's doing. All Hannah knows is I'm Dada, she's my daughter, and what on earth could change that? Is there anything Hannah can do? And I mean that. Is there anything Hannah can do that would ever make her no longer my daughter? You know why? Nothing. Because Hannah was born 
That's how she became my child. She didn't choose to be my child. She didn't make a decision to be my child. She didn't fill out a card. She didn't pick me. She didn't volunteer. She didn't walk down an aisle. She became my child because she was born. She had nothing to do with it. Which I think is why Jesus, when he talks about faith, and when he talks about becoming a Christian, describes it like birth. I think that's why he says when you become a Christian, what happens is you get new birth. You are born again. And that is not of you. That is something that God did. In fact, Jesus wants to drive this analogy home so much that your birth, your spiritual birth was God's doing that in John 1 verse 12, he talks about he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you hear that? You became a Christian not by birth. You didn't become a Christian because you were born into a Christian family. No one inherits Christianity through their DNA, through their blood, through their family line, through a decision. You became a Christian of God because he made you his child. And if he made you his child, nothing unmakes you his child. Hannah knows that she is always going to be my daughter and I'm always going to be her father and there is nothing that keeps her from me. She is free to come to me. And here's what I want you to hear. So it is with God. If that is true of someone who is evil like me, so it is with God. God is not constantly disowning you and reclaiming you and disowning you and reclaiming you based on your good days and your bad days. The the irony is some of us don't go to God in prayer because we haven't gone to God in prayer. Does that make sense? You feel so bad that you haven't prayed that you don't pray. And, And your lack of prayer keeps you from more prayer. And yet Hannah teaches me what it's like to be secure in a relationship. Here's what I would want you to hear. If my daughter knows what it's like to be secure in a relationship with me, though I am evil, how much greater will your Father in heaven have you secure in his relationship with you? I'll give you another one. My children come to me with no pretenses. They come to me with no games. They come to me with no guise, no disguise, no play, no act, no fakeness. They come to me as they are. I was with Hannah in the mall the other week. Again, it was just me and the kids because I don't know if I mentioned, but Shaina was in India and I was watching the kids (laughs) for 10 days by myself. Right? So I'm watching the kids by myself and I take Hannah to the bathroom. We're in the mall. She needs to go to the bathroom. She's sitting on the potty, and she looks at me, and she goes, Dada, mom's better than you. (laughs) Right? Now, I have half a mind to go, oh, yeah, is mom going to come back and wipe you right now? Right? (laughs) For you to get up, it takes me right now. Right? So we joke about that a little bit, and we chuckle, and we go, and but straight to me, Dada, mom's better than you. Right? Have you ever noticed, and you all know this, those of you who have children or have friends who have children, the kids just say whatever's on their mind. Right? They just, there's no filter, right? They just say whatever's on their mind. They come to you real. Here's what I love about Hannah. Hannah has never tried to put on a different version for me. She's never thought to herself, I should say what dad wants to hear. She just comes to me as she is. She lets me have a relationship with the real Hannah. It hasn't dawned on her, and I hope never will, to try and create some kind of version of Hannah that I'll like more. Because here's the other thing. I have no interest in a fake Hannah. The only one that I love is the real Hannah. 
And that's the only one I am interested in having a relationship with. I have no interest in a fake version of her. I want the real her. But my children come to me that way, as they really are. When Micah crawls to me, he's got a mouthful of food and face all dirty. He's got snot coming out of his nose, a diaper that is full and stinky. And Micah never thinks to himself, I should clean myself up before I go to my father. Right? Micah's only a year old, and he has already learned it's dad's job to clean me, my job to just come. Right? When I'm a mess, I wail out and cry, and dad has to come and clean me. The gospel says that you were so messed up and messy that you had no way to fix yourself and make yourself right. And so the only thing you could do was come to Jesus exactly as you are. You have to come that way because nobody can clean themselves up. That's how messed up you are. And so if you became a believer, that's how you came. You came to Jesus exactly as you are, snot-nosed and all. And yet the weird thing about prayer is when it comes to prayer, we forget that. We leave the gospel behind and we put on this spiritual show and try to clean ourselves before coming to God as we really are. Right? We, we think we've got to put before God a really good version of us. So here's what happens. You sit down to pray. Your mind wanders. So you immediately kick yourself in the pants and you go, oh, that's so messed up. And so you start at it again and you're trying to be spiritual. And you do that again and, and again. You're trying to maybe perhaps pray for big things that you think the Father wants to hear from you. So you're praying for missions and for the globe and everything. And you can't stop thinking about yourself. Have you ever noticed children are incredibly selfish and it doesn't stop them from coming. They just come as they are. So you you try to be spiritual again and it doesn't work until you kick yourself in the pants and then you give up in despair. You're done. Why? Because you're trying to come to the Father not as who you are but a cleaned up, good, spiritual version of you. Instead of coming to the Father and saying, Father, you see how unspiritual I am. I cannot think about you for five minutes. You see the poverty of my holiness. You see how messed up I am. And rather than that driving you to prayer, it keeps you away from him. Here's what I want you to hear. Prayer has this wonderful way of showing you how unspiritual you are. You want to know how much you need grace, how needy you are for Jesus? Try and pray. And immediately you're confronted by how messy The real you is. But when you are messy, come to Jesus that way. Come to Jesus exactly as you are because that's the only version of you that he's interested in. That's the version that he loves. And Jesus welcomes us. I want you to hear that. If I who am evil welcome my children exactly as they are, how much more your father When Micah, he hasn't walked yet, he's one years old, over one. When he takes his first few steps, are Shainu and I, are we going to go, you know other kids have already done this three months ago? No. We are going to bust out the camera, we're going to shout, we're going to scream, we're going to go, here you go Micah, here you go Micah. And we are going to rejoice in every wobbly, unsteady step that he takes towards us. If I, who am evil, know how to do that. How much more will your Father in heaven rejoice in your unsteady, wobbly steps of prayer in his direction? How much more will he receive you just as you are? 
You sing just as I am, without one plea, I come. Not just when you receive Christ for the first time. That's how you come to Jesus at all times. So that Jesus can meet the real you. That's the only version of you he's interested in. In a praying life, Paul Miller talks about how Jesus praises Nathaniel. There's this disciple named Nathaniel that comes to Jesus. And one of Jesus' disciples tells Nathaniel about Jesus and says, you've got to go to Jesus of Nazareth. And Nazareth, I guess, in that day was just, you know, some backwoods nothing. It'd be like, you know, this guy from Idaho. And you go, what's Idaho? Or somewhere from the south. No one cares, right? So, so Jesus is saying, Jesus comes up to this man, Nathaniel, and Nathaniel goes, what good can come from Nazareth, right? And Jesus doesn't chastise this man for basically dismissing his whole family, ministry, everything. In fact, what Jesus says is, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And he loves Nathaniel because Nathaniel's real. Nathaniel doesn't put on a guise. Nathaniel doesn't act. He doesn't make a show. In fact, Jesus' disciples have this childlikeness about them. Right? You th- read through the Gospels and you find that all the disciples act like children. Peter blurts out whatever's on his mouth. Right? Whatever's on his mind. Two of the disciples argue about who's going to be the greatest. They get their mom to go ask Jesus. Can you, can you see who gets to sit on your right hand and your left? I mean, what a bunch of babies, right? And that's the point. The only people Jesus has a problem with are the adult-like Pharisees who have to put on a show and act religious and put on a front, and Jesus wants nothing to do with them. But real people, messy people, weak people, broken people, they come to Jesus exactly as they are. Listen, when you first learned that you were messed up, you had no hope but to go to Jesus and go say, I can't do anything. you got to take me as I am. Well, that's exactly what you do every time you pray. You come to Jesus as you are, self-absorbed, selfish, small, petty, and all, because that's the version that he loves. Because if the real you meets Jesus, then he has an opportunity to change the real you. If you keep bringing a fake you to him, he can never get through to the real you and begin to work on you. Here's what I want you to hear. If my children can come to me with no pretenses exactly as they are, though I am evil, how much more can you go to your Father in heaven exactly as you are? Let me give you another one. Hannah can ask for anything. Hannah can ask for anything. I am pretty sure that Hannah thinks that Shainu and I are billionaires who have unlimited resources and unlimited time and energy and power. She can ask for anything. Whatever comes on her mind, she asks for. Can I have that? Can I go there? Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we go there? All the time, just a million requests. And you who are parents, you know, if your children sense that they are loved by you, that your heart is for them, there's no limit to what they'll ask you. They'll ask you for the moon. They will ask you to go to the moon as much as milk and think that both things are within your realm to do, right? They just ask for anything. There's no limit. And and if our children have been with us some time, they know that how we respond depends. We don't always say yes. That's not good parenting. Can I run into the highway? No, that wouldn't be good to say yes, right? So they know we say yes sometimes. We say no sometimes. We say not now, later sometimes, right? Can I have this slice of pizza? Sure. Can I run into the highway? No. Can we go to the park? 
It's midnight, not now, but later, right? We know that's how it is. And yet, that has never stopped our children from asking. They ask freely. They ask confidently. They come to us asking every time we're going to say yes. They don't come asking, thinking that we're going to say no. They come confidently every time, right? If Hannah walked up to me and said, Dad, I know you're not going to do this, and I know you're probably going to be upset that I even asked, and you're not going to do this anyway, so I probably shouldn't even ask you, but I'm just going to... Whatever else is about to come out of her mouth, I'd have to stop her and go, wait, Hannah, there's something off between us, because you know who you are to me. You don't have to come to me cowardly, cowering, not confident. No, and, and thankfully, that's not the way Hannah comes. Hannah asked for the moon with the same confidence she asked for milk, because that's the way she comes. And if that is so with us, I want you to hear, so it is with your heavenly Father. God's children come to him who is in heaven. Remember the verse says, if you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven? He's in heaven. That means he has unlimited resources, unlimited power, unlimited energy. There's nothing he cannot do. And so God's children come to God and they ask freely and they ask confidently. They ask for anything. They ask for everything. I heard one pastor say, you know, there's a verse that says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. Or another version, to him who is able to do more than we can imagine. And so one pastor said, your prayers have never been worthy of the power of God. That was a line, and I remembered it. Your prayers have never been worthy of the power of God, meaning there's nothing you've ever asked for that has reached the limit of God's power. Because if you can ask it or think it, God can do more, and God can do better. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. Right? And so, as children, we can come and ask, and we can seek, and we can knock. And and we can do that with confidence, that the Father's going to hear us. And sometimes, for our good, he'll say no. Right? One pastor pointed out, in this verse, it says, if a son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or for fish, will you give him a serpent? What if the son asks for a serpent? What if the son asks for a stone? Thankfully, this verse does not mean whatever we send up, God sends down. Because when the son asks for what is wrong, thankfully the father will only give good things to their children. When my kids ask me for something that is not right or that is not the best for them, I wisely say no or wisely say later. So it is with God. And of course, that tests our faith. Sometimes we go to God and we get exactly what we ask for, exactly when we ask for it, exactly the way that we ask for it. Sometimes we don't. And that causes us to have to trust, just like my kids have to trust that when I take them to the doctor and allow that man to stick that needle into them, it is for their good, though they have no comprehension why it would be so. If my children can ask for anything, though I am evil, how much more can you ask and seek and knock from a father who is good? I'll give you two more and then I'll stop. My children are dependent, right? Let me talk about Micah for a second so that none of you can tell him I never talked about him, right? Micah comes to me incredibly dependent. 
I can be juggling 40 things in my hand, a million things bouncing around in my mind. I can be on my way out the door, and it has never stopped him once from reaching up his hands and crying to be picked up. Again, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Shaina was in India for 10 days, and I was watching the kids by myself. And so when she was, I remember I could not put this boy down for three seconds. I put him down in the living room. I could not go to the kitchen without him wailing for me. He might have abandonment issues because Shaina went to India for... All right. Okay, so I, I could not put him down. And I remember thinking, this boy is so needy. He cannot do anything himself. I want you to hear what Jesus said in John 5 verse 20. He says, I cannot do anything on my own. I want you to hear what Jesus says in John 5, 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. Do you know what I learned from Micah? That when it comes to a relationship with God, Jesus looks much more like Micah than he does adult, independent, self-reliant, competent Ajay. Jesus, a grown man, the Son of God, says, I can do nothing on my own. I can only do what the Father tells me. Jesus, throughout the whole Gospels, is so needy on the Father to do life, he's constantly saying, I can't do life on my own. When it comes to prayer, that neediness drove him to prayer. We don't pray because we're far more adult-like than we are childlike. I got life. I can do life. I can handle this. And only when I come to the places I absolutely cannot handle do I pray. Jesus saw all of life as being dependent and needy, like Micah, like a kid. That's why when Jesus talks to his disciples, he holds up a child and says, if you want to connect with God, unless you become like this, you'll never connect with him. If you're going to connect with God, you've got to come to God like a child. Nothing in your hand. And, and again, if I who am evil with my limitations and weaknesses... Do you know that the Father who is in heaven is superintending and sovereignly in control of all things, nations and elections and leaders and governments and wars and people? He, he rules all, over all things, and yet there's never a time when you lift up your hands and he's not immediately there to lift you up, to hear your prayer at all times. My children who are dependent upon me for life, though I am evil and weak, how much more, how much greater is your Father who is in heaven ready to meet your every need? I can tell you more. I can tell you how my children have taught me persistence in prayer, right? Have you ever been amazed at how your children do not tire of asking, right? Hannah will not quit. Hannah is convinced that there's nothing I won't eventually say yes to if she just asks me long enough, right? There's nothing, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we? And then it just goes over and over. I've told Hannah, Hannah, there's this story where Jesus talks about this widow who, who just keeps going to this judge over and over again and tires him out, and that's what you're like, right? And, and Jesus told that story so that we'd learn what it's like to pray and to pray like children, right? And, and here's the thing. I get to the point where, and you've been there, right? We go to them, if you ask me one more time, I swear, bleep, 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 right? And yet the Father, who is in heaven, who is better and greater, says, I never tire of my children bothering me. In fact, he invites you to bother him. 
and pester him and don't quit and don't stop knocking and keep asking. I've learned from my children what it's like to come often to God, to talk to him often. Hannah never has a clock watching the clock when she's with me. Sometimes she comes to me for five minutes. Sometimes she comes to me for hours. She comes to me for different things. Sometimes she's got needs. Sometimes she's got requests. Sometimes she comes to say thanks. Sometimes she comes to say sorry. She lied the other day, and she sat on the couch 10 minutes later, and she goes, Dada, and I'm in the kitchen. She goes, I'm sorry that I lied. And my heart melts. I mean, one moment, and she's, I'm back. She, she, she sometimes speaks words of kindness to me or goodness. The other week, again, I, I didn't have Shiny to talk to, so I told Hannah, right? I'm not, I'm not beating that anymore, all right? But I told Shine, Hannah on Thursday of last week that I was worried about the sermon for Sunday. And so I said to Hannah, Hannah, could you pray for me? Because I don't think the sermon's going to be good. Three days later, on Sunday morning, while we're cleaning up at 9.15 or so, we hadn't talked about it again for even a second. She comes to me and goes, Dad, I have to tell you something. I go, what, Hannah? She goes, remember how you said you're not going to preach good? I think you're going to preach good. Look, you get that, right? You get how a father's heart melts. How much more does your father in heaven receive and respond to your praise? He's not a father in heaven who's needy, looking for you to say something kind, but how gracious of him to receive your simple words to him. When we finish and we come to sing, are you going to sing perfect enough with a pure enough heart, with right enough attention? But your father is going to take anything you send in his direction from your heart and receive it well. All right, there's plenty more I could say. I told you one last one. Hannah calls me Dada. All right, that doesn't mean anything. Let me, let me explain. Hannah knows that I'm a pastor. And so because of that, she hears people call me lots of different things. Not the bad things that you guys say, but she hears me say other things, right? She hears people call me a J. She hears some people call me Pastor a J. She hears some of her little friends call me things like Josiah, Joe, and Lisa's son calls me Pastor Uncle. Corinne gets confused, calls me a J. Papa, Pastor Uncle, right? <laughs> so she hears people call me all kinds of different things. And she gets a kick out of all these titles. And, and sometimes when Josiah's calling me Pastor Uncle, she'll come to me and jokingly go, Pastor Uncle, hi, Pastor Uncle. But, but she never addresses me that way. She never addresses me with a title. She calls me Dada because that's what I am. I'm her Dada. And, and here's the thing. No one else gets to call me that, just my kids. They get to call me Dada, right? Josiah called me Dada by accident. Joe was all over him, Right? Because that's not what, it's my kids who get to call me Dada. I'm their Dada. And so I have a name that only they can say. When Jesus used to pray, he used to call his father Abba. And his followers were so struck by the intimacy in which Jesus spoke to God that even when they translated the Bible over into Greek and they translated everything, they kept Abba in Aramaic. Because they were so stunned by what Jesus called. And they were so stunned that they were now allowed to speak to God as Jesus did. They were so amazed that, that they could call God Abba. That Jesus' father was now their father. That God was not just Jesus' Abba or Papa or Dada as it means. But that he was theirs. So they translate everything. But they leave Abba the same so that they could speak to God as Jesus did. 
that Jesus had made a way for them to speak to the Father like he did. That's why Galatians 4 verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because you are sons, because you are children of God, God sent the Spirit of his own Son, Jesus, into your hearts so that your hearts might cry out like Jesus did, Abba, Father. Lord, teach us to pray like children. You want to grow in prayer? Learn to pray like a child. If you asked Hannah or you asked Micah, how did you become this way? How did you develop these characteristics? How did you develop these qualities? How did you become dependent? How did you become secure? They would have no idea what you're talking about. Why? They do what they do because this is who they are. She does what she does because she is who she is. Her identity as my daughter precedes her actions. She doesn't sit working on trying to be dependent. She is a daughter. I'm her father. And that identity comes before any action. Hear that. As you leave from here, the point is not for you to now try and work on being dependent. The point is not for you to work on being secure. The point is not trying to cultivate these attributes. The point is meditating on your identity. The gospel says you are children of God. And so if you want to get better at prayer, start there. What does it mean that God is your father and you are his child? If your prayer life is weak, it's not just because we have a deficient understanding of prayer. It's because we have a deficient understanding of the gospel. Hannah does what she does because she is who she is. And your prayer life will grow when you realize who you are and you go back and you meditate on the gospel. So you've heard me patiently. I want to ask you, are you a child of God? Are you coming to a father that is not your own and saying, Dada? Or are you a child of God? Hear this. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you can't go to God and say, Father, he's not your dad. Only God's children can call him father. But the good news is anyone can become God's child through faith in Jesus Christ. And so are you a child of God? No one gets to the father, Jesus said, except through me. And you can become a child of God through repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus. If you are a child of God, would you go back to the gospel? And would you remember who father is and who you are And what that means. Would you think this week, if I really believed God was a good father and I was his child, what difference would that make in my life? What difference would that make in the way that I prayed? Because I'll tell you, hear this, I struggle with believing that God is a better father than me. Let me say that again. I struggle with God, the idea that God's a better father with me. And here's what I mean by that. I know how I love Hannah and Micah. I know that if they turn their face to me, I'm all over them. I know my heart is for them. I know my heart melts for them. And I struggle to believe that God loves me the way that I love my kids. Does that make sense? I struggle to think that God could possibly love me the way that I love my kids. And deep down, I feel like I love them better than he loves me. So I got to go back to the gospel And actually believe. Jesus' words are for me. If you who are evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? One last word of application and then I'll quit. Let me speak specifically to the men for a minute. To you dads and to you future dads. I want you to hear this. One pastor rightly said, you have been given the right to share in God's divine title. You're called father. And it's not that God made you and saw that you were dads and said, okay, you can call me dad too. God lent you his title. God let you be called father. Let you be called Abba. Let you be called Dada and Papa. God shared his title with you so that you might reflect to your sons and daughters who God is. Some of you grew up with awful fathers. I know that. Some of you still bear the wounds of bad dads. I know that. And here's what I want you to hear. You are at no disadvantage Because your father in heaven, and he is your father, is better and best of all fathers. And you have been called to reflect that father to your children. You have been called to reflect that dad to your kids. So that, hear this, when your kids come to find out that God is a dad, that should not sound like bad news to them. When your kids come to find out that God is a dad, they should be able to say, You're telling me that Father God is better than my father? Well, then that's amazing good news because my dad was amazing. That's what your children ought to say. By God's grace, let it be so. If you then who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray.